copy of the scriptures to Genesis 49. And we have celebrated the sacraments so much in 2014 with three baptisms and now uh, including today um, the Lord's Supper twice. We've been getting out later. So I'm going to give you a little break this morning. Uh, I cut my sermon uh, by a third. Uh, I wish I could say that it was all in in uh, concern for for you, but actually, next ser- next Sunday sermon on um, on on Genesis 49. I, I it has so invaded my soul. I've been just kind of walking around worshiping, and I thought, well. I want to focus on that next week, and so I um, I am just preaching this first point this week. The blessings of consequences is that first point. Um, I think God's word has something to say to us uh, in this regard. I'll read verses one through seven. Then jump down to verse 13 and read verses 13 through 21 and then verse 27. Please hear the word of God. Genesis chapter 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben. You are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Moving ahead to verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and and his border shall be at Sidon. Ishakar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw a resting place that was good, and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Moving ahead to verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, 
and at evening dividing the spoil. Let's pray. God, this is Your Word. And I ask that You uh, speak Your Word uh, both through the reading of it and um, through the, the weakness of the proclamation of the Gospel uh, by a human being. And uh, speak it into our hearts and through it draw us closer to our Lord Jesus Christ, our only hope, our Savior, our King. We ask in His name. Amen. Countless books and movies and self-help conferences tell us how important it is for us to make our lives count. They tell us we only have one life to live, so make it matter. And the implication is that it is a great tragedy for you to live your entire life and not leave your mark behind. Now, if you're worried about not leaving your mark, or not leaving a mark, and that your life won't matter past your funeral service, I have some good news for you. Your life will live beyond your death. The choices you make, the things you do, will indeed live because these choices and these actions have consequences. This reality sometimes gets shortchanged in Christianity because we think if God forgives our sins, if He no longer punishes us because Christ received the full measure of His punishment in our stead, then we seem to think that we are free from the consequences of our choices, free from our sinful actions. But listen to what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This passage says that there's an organic relationship between the seeds you plant and the fruit that you will harvest. So if you plant lemon seeds exclusively, you'll never be able to to harvest apples. The choices you make, the actions that you perform, will bear fruit uh, in your life And not only in your life, but also in the lives of those around you. So, um, so your life will indeed count. And the consequences of your choices will live beyond you. The question for us is, will the consequences of your life be pleasing to God and helpful to others? Or not? That is the question that we are faced with this morning. This principle of consequences is central to understanding this passage that is before us. Central to understanding these blessings that Jacob has pronounced on his children. Every one of, of Jacob's children 
received blessings, even though I think it's difficult to see anything pleasant in some of these blessings. And this is especially true of the blessings that uh, Jacob, or Israel as he is also called, uh, conferred upon Reuben and Simeon and Levi here in verses 1 through 7. And so he says uh, to Reuben, verse 3, and you can imagine Reuben, listen attentively, because Reuben is the firstborn. He is going to get the lion's share of the inheritance. And so he's listening. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstborn of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Reuben's probably sitting up pretty straight at this point, you know, counting... um, counting his inheritance. But verse 4, Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. The, uh, the, what happened here is that the blessings given to Reuben and then as we'll see also to Simeon and Levi essentially disqualify them from a permanent inheritance. The consequences of their actions disqualified them. The tragedy, however, is not the consequences. The tragedy here is that their actions expose their hearts. Their actions let Jacob know who they really were. And he had never seen over the course of their life any real change come over these three uh, of his oldest sons. And so Reuben here was being exposed, or his heart was exposed as being as unstable as water. The idea here in saying that Reuben is is as unstable as water, is he's weak. He's weak-willed. He has no backbone. He has no moral foundation to steady his life. You take a rock and you throw it out into into a lake early in the morning when the lake is completely calm and still. As the rock hits the water, the water becomes unstable and the, the, the waves ripple out from the place where the rock hit. There's no stability there. And so Reuben, unstable as water, he had nothing in his life uh, to keep him steady. And so this led him to make a very unsteady uh, choice. He took advantage of his father's concubine. He went up into... Uh, the bed of his his father's concubine. And this instability in Reuben's life he passed down to his offspring. His offspring, his, his children living in Reuben's tents, watching Reuben day in and day out. Reuben made a disciple, or made disciples, made unsteady um, um uh, foundationless uh, disciples. His offspring came to to learn his ways. In fact, um, this came to characterize the generations that followed Reuben. For example, 
when um, the Israelites left Egypt and after 70 years of wandering were promised the promised land, they never made it into the promised land. In fact, they settled east of the Jordan. And it was a choice of convenience rather than a choice of resolve, rather than a choice of faith. And so tellingly, the tribe of Reuben, if you read the, the Scriptures, never produced a prophet, never produced a judge, never produced a king. And then they quickly disappeared from history. And in Simeon and Levi, um, they were violent men who slaughtered the entire town of Shechem. And so Jacob says... Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their, their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Jacob refused, therefore, to promise them a permanent inheritance as a consequence of their violence. So verse 7, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And it turned out just as Jacob had prophesied. Simeon's tribe was a little subsection of Judah down um, toward the southern border of Palestine, or, or the land of Canaan. And uh, they were quickly subsumed, swallowed up by Judah, and basically disappeared from, from history very quickly. The Levi uh, did not own any permanent land um, as an inheritance because they were scattered about throughout Israel as priests. And then we move on to the others of, um, of Jacob's sons. Beginning with verse 13, we see Zebulun. Uh, he shall dwell at the shore of the sea, he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. So I want to just quickly survey these other brothers, excluding Judah, I want to look at them next week. Excluding uh, Joseph and his sons, I want to look at them next week as well. But here's Zebulun. He became rich through trade, is what we know. And then Ishikar, verses 14 and 15, his descendants, like Reuben, were opportunistic rather than full of faith, and they ended up living under the thumb of peoples that were more powerful than they. So verses 14 and 15, Ishakar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw a resting place that was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. And so like a donkey, you know, the donkey has decided he's found a shady place, he ain't moving. You know, and you have the picture of the, the, the farmer trying to pull the donkey, and he stubbornly says, No, I have found a shady, pleasant place. I am. This is where I am planting myself. And so that is what Ishakar did, and they ended up becoming enslaved, uh, essentially. Verses 16 and 17, we see that Dan was more stable than Ishakar. He had some legitimate high points in his history. 
Uh, yet the Lord was not the center of Dan's life. Uh, in Sunday school, three months ago, we finished studying the book of Judges, and we saw uh, the book of Dan, or we saw the tribe of Dan at a couple of points. Um, they were more active than Ishakar and certainly uh, Simeon, but and Reuben. But we didn't see a whole lot of stability. Um, Dan, throughout Israel's history, tried to achieve greatness. At least they had some initiative, but they tried to achieve greatness through deception rather than faith. They relied on themselves rather than the Lord. Samson came from the tribe of Dan. And so verses uh, 16 and 17, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a a serpent in the way, a viper by the path. Opportunistic. Has, Has a goal. And he's going somewhere, but he's not going to get that goal by by trusting in the Lord, but rather by being deceptive. So he's lying in the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backwards. Verse 18, all week I wrestled with this. In fact, I didn't even put it in my notes and wasn't planning on saying anything about it because I couldn't come to a conclusion. But uh, it's on my mind and out out my mouth it comes. Uh, He... Jacob here in verse 18 pauses and he says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. The commentators seem to think that Jacob is making an exultant proclamation, O Lord, your salvation is strong, it is coming, and I wait upon you. I see this almost as exasperation. O Lord, we need you. My children are a mess. My family is a mess. Lord, I wait for your salvation. And so either way you want to take it, the commentators really aren't settled. I'm not even settled. And then um, verse 19, Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their hills. Uh, That short blessing there. Um... They'll be attacked, but they will they'll bounce back. And then Asher and Naphtali in verses uh, 20 and 21, and then also verse 27, Benjamin. Uh, these three tribes had, had their strengths, but again, as you read these blessings, you don't see the Lord at the center of their desires. The Lord doesn't seem to figure in their lives. And guess what has happened to all three of these tribes as well, as well as the other tribes? They have all disappeared from history. A severe consequence of their refusal to entrust themselves to God. So verses 20 and 21, Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Verse 27, Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, at the evening dividing the spoil. There's only one tribe that is left. The tribe of, of Benjamin, I mean the, the, the tribe of Judah is the only tribe of the twelve tribes that is still left, that has survived to this day. 
Now, this is a, just a side note. This is something that's just pure speculation on my part. I think if you were to sort out, if you were able to sort out the, the DNA of the present-day Palestinians, you'd find within the, the DNA of, um, of these Palestinians the remnants of these 11 tribes that have disappeared. In other words, all the racial hatred of the Palestinians that they are continually hurling toward the Jews, I believe is being perpetrated, being perpetrated by Palestinians who have a whole lot of Israeli DNA in their bodies. And it illustrates the stupidity of the racism. To conclude, um, consequences as we've seen here from this passage, however severe and however irreversible, are for God's children blessings. We see here, Jacob, he is doling out not simply curses, but they are God's covenant children. And so Jacob calls them blessings. And blessings they were. Look at verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. In other words, the blessing fit the consequences of their faith or lack thereof. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 says that Israel, all Israel, um, they, they were blessed people indeed. Theirs was the covenants. Theirs was the promise, promises. Uh, theirs was the, 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 the true worship. Theirs, uh, from, from them came the human ancestry of Christ. All the promises given to Abraham were theirs. And through them, they were to be a blessing to the nations around them. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to be... He is conferring on them blessings in order that they might be blessings um, to, to the other nations and even to the succeeding generations. Eleven of the twelve tribes... And so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself and talking about uh, Joseph's two sons uh, whom, whom uh, Jacob adopted. But all of them, except for Judah, disappeared. Instead of being a light to the nations, they were snuffed out. But God and, and Jacob says these are blessings. God has a good purpose in even the consequences of our sins. All of God's work in our life, even the consequences of our sins, is part of God working all things together for, for our good. It is part of God's blessing. And so God wants us not simply to learn from the consequences of our sins, but He also wants us to be undone 
by them so that we flee to Him for refuge. We're going to see as we look at Judah and the blessings pronounced upon Judah. We're going to see how Judah responded to the consequences of his sins. And he responded not in self-help, not in self-aggrandizement. He responded to the consequences of his sins by humbling himself and by repentance. And it became in Judah's uh, children a pattern for the generations to come. So, what I'm saying here, and I think I've been a little convoluted, what I'm trying to say here is that God is just. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. You reap to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap righteousness. You please to, 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 you, you sow to, to um, please the flesh, you reap corruption. There's an organic unity between the seeds we plant and the harvest uh, we gather, even for us as believers. So, don't waste the consequences of your choices. Don't waste... um, Don't waste these things by closing your eyes to them, by continually trying to escape from them. Rather... Let the consequences of your sins spur you to renew your faith in Jesus Christ. Flee to Christ. We'll see next week how how Judah is a model for us here. Here's the danger I see um, in regard to our consequences and how we deal with our consequences. I think we want to escape the consequences of our actions more than we want to draw near to God. We want to escape the consequences of our sins more than we want God's forgiveness from our sins. But to do this is to reject God's just and good providence in our lives. Search your hearts. Is this your attitude toward God's dealing uh, in your life? Are you only concerned of ridding yourself from the consequences? so you can get rid of your guilt? Or do you love Christ? Let Him use the consequences even of your worst actions. Even of the consequences that are irreversible. Consequences that of, of things that you did decades ago. Flee to Christ with those things. And undoubtedly there are some here Possibly everyone who is here this morning that have consequences that you simply cannot reverse. I imagine some of you carry around the burdens of these consequences every moment of your life. And trust those consequences to God. In His grace, you don't have to bear them alone. Christ will help you bear them. Again, you may not... Reverse them. But they can be a means for you to draw close to Christ and experience the joy of His grace in your life. God is serious about consequences. We read the Scripture. That should, that should be enough. Galatians uh, 6, 7, and 8. But here's how serious God is about consequences. God so loved sinners 
that instead of going around the consequences of our sins, instead of of forgiving us, um, just making a pronouncement of forgiveness, He couldn't do that because He's serious about the consequences. He is a just God. He would be unjust if He simply allowed us to be forgiven of our sins without those sins being paid for. And so what He did was sent His Son here into this world, clothed in human flesh, Jesus Christ, God and man. God, in order to be able to pay for our sins before a holy and righteous God. Man, in order to be the substitute. And instead of going around our sins, He went right through them by sending Jesus Christ to the cross. Jesus Christ was stretched out on that cross because of the consequences of our sins. And the guilt of our sins was laid upon Him. And God the Father struck Him. In His anger and wrath. But also in His love. He poured out the punishment for our sins upon Jesus. Poured out the consequences of our sin upon Jesus. And Jesus because He so loved us, bore them. God loved us, sent His Son Jesus. Jesus loved us, bore them. Consequences don't simply go away. You might hide from them. You might not feel the effect of them. They don't go away. Thanks be to God, Christ has borne them for us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we, I think, spend an inordinate amount of time trying to escape the consequences of our actions and we pile up other consequences, lying and and deception and and, and, uh, trying to, to close our eyes to to what we know to be true. Lord, in so doing, we are dishonoring You and we are shutting our hands and our hearts to Your grace. God, we ask that as we gather around the communion table this morning, that You would um, fellowship with us and remind us that our Lord Jesus has borne the weight of the consequences of our sins even though we still live with the residuals of them. We thank You that the guilt of them has been taken away. Be with us. Encourage um, Your children who are struggling. God, build up all Your children. For any here who do not know Jesus, I pray that You would so work in their heart and draw them to Christ. Even now, we ask in His name. Amen.